Hi, this is Patty Lapone. This is Allison Janney. This is Matt Balmer. This is Donna Murphy. This is Nia Vardalis. This is Jesse Tyler Ferguson. This is Beanie Feldstein. I'm Octavia Spencer. This is Ben Platt, and you're listening to Little Known Facts with my favorite person on the planet, Alana Levine. A-OK. Welcome to Little Known Facts, a podcast where you will hear unfiltered, raw, honest, and uniquely funny interviews with artists you love as they talk about the art they love to make. I'm your host, Ilana Levine. Hey, I heard you need an inspiration. He's Ilana and friends with some revelations. Little known back to the day, every little thing's gonna be a-okay. Hey everyone, new episodes of Little Known Facts drop every Monday and you can find them on your favorite podcast provider. Also, if you go to the website, littleknownfactspodcast.com, you'll find behind-the-scenes photos, videos, and interviews, and lots more on the gallery page. And if you are loving these intimate, candid conversations with all the artists who come on the show, please head over to the contributions page. I depend on these donations to continue to bring you these interviews every week. So if you love the show, please donate. Little known fact about my guest today, she does a young Shirley Temple impression that rivals, well, the young Shirley Temple. Welcome, Jay Smith Cameron. A-OK. A-OK. Hi, everyone. My guest today is the award-winning actress, Jay Smith Cameron. Jay has appeared in numerous theater productions on and off Broadway, but some highlights include Our Country's Good, Crimes of the Heart, Lend Me a Tenor, Tartuffe, Wild Honey, The Memory of Water, Night Must Fall, Fuddy Mears, As Bees and Honey Drown, Juno and the Peacock, Sorry and Sweet and Sad, That Hopey Changey Thing, and The Starry Messenger by her husband, playwright and screenwriter, Kenneth Lonergan. She has done... Too many television shows to mention right now, but some of the highlights include, most recently, the role of Janet Talbot on Rectify, True Blood, The Good Wife, and The Equalizer, my father's favorite, by the way, for you radio listeners. Films include Christine, You Can Count on Me, Jeffrey, The Rage Carrie 2, Like Sunday, Like Rain, and Margaret, which won her the Best Supporting Actress Award for the International Cinephile Society. She is beloved by everyone who has worked with her, and let's face it, everyone wants to work with her, but I have her today. Welcome, Jay Smith Cameron, to the podcast. Thank you, Ilana. I'm happy to be here. Uh, It's such a pleasure. The first thing I want to ask you, can you tell us about your name? (laughs) Because it's a really good one. Um, I'm happy to hear you say that because it's an odd name. Well, I grew up as Jeannie Smith in South Carolina. And then um, sometime in high school and college, I started just going by J. The letter? Yeah, the initial J. And it was just J. Smith, which I sort of adored being because it was like being called John Doe or something. It was sort of mysterious, but utterly banal. Yeah. Like Smith is like the most common name. And then J is actually a very common letter too. So it was Did you start going by J. Smith? You were not sexless though. (laughs) Did you? It was college, my friend. Uh, Did someone start calling you that? Or like, did you introduce yourself as that? Do you even remember the transformation? I actually do remember. I do now that you ask because I went to audition for my first uh, thing at college. Is this FSU? FSU, Yeah. You had to just sign up on the board, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, like the sign in. And I just put initial J. Smith. 
because I guess in the back of my mind, I kind of liked that better than Jeannie Smith, which right. sounded like a little girl's name. Um, now it sounds delightful. I wouldn't mind being called Jeannie, but <laughs> so there's nothing name. wrong with Jeannie. Jeannie Smith. Jeannie <laughs> Smith. I'm very young. I'm very young. I'm way well, too young for this part. I'm, I'm Jeannie now Smith. friends with uh, Jeannie Berlin, and I feel like it's a secret society to be named Jeannie. The Jeannies? Cool. Yeah, I um, like that name. I never disliked the name. I just somehow... Okay was going through a time where I liked that idea of just having more... Mystery. Like a... I don't know. So I just wrote Jay Smith. So anyway, then they called my name out, Jay Smith. And I was too shy and awkward to explain that I just signed up my initial. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, so I started being called Jay Smith. And then some people who knew me from before that were like, wait, are you Jay now? And I was like, yes, yes I'm I Jay am. now. Mm-hmm. I'm Madam X. I'm Jay. <laughs> I shall not answer <laughs> if you say <laughs> Jeannie. Jeannie who? Then, though, I dropped out of college because I got a, a theater job offer. But before I did that, I had made a film. While I was in Florida, I'd made a film by Victor Nunez. He's very famous now. He's famous, and he's wonderful. Wait, did he do Ruby and Paradise? Okay, he's a beautiful filmmaker. Yeah, 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 yeah. And Yuli's Gold. And his first film was called Gal Youngin'. Okay. And um, Was that a short or a long? No, it was a full-length film, and it was based on a short story by Marjorie Kennan Rawlings, who wrote The Yearling. I don't know if you remember that movie and that story. And um, she's a beautiful writer. So you were in college with him. No, no, no. Oh, I just while auditioned. you were in college. They, they needed a teenager. This has nothing to do with college. It's, it's just coincidental. <laughs> okay. It was shooting near, not even in Tallahassee, okay. wherever she was, but in outside of Gainesville, where, okay. where Marjorie Kennan Rawlings Farm was. And uh, But they were trying to hire an actual 14-year-old. So they looked in colleges because that would be kind of a hybrid right. to play this young part, um, which wasn't the lead but was the title role. And so um, I got picked to do it, and I did that. And I, you know, it was a very, very, very low budget non SAG film. I never thought it would see the light of day. I hoped it would. And right about the time I finished my job in Kentucky, my acting, my theater job, I decided to move to New York, and that film was playing at the Independence part of the New York Film Festival. So I had been billed in the film as Jay Smith. And then in the interim, I'd, I joined Equity, and I couldn't be, I couldn't be initial Smith. Because there were too many people I could be mistaken with. So um, a lot of people in my generation have three names, right. John, Benjamin, Hickey, and so forth, because they have, you know— There were too many of them. Right, at least at the time when they joined up, let's say. So so I had to be—I either change my first or last name or add a name. So Cameron was a family name. Technically, on my birth certificate, I'm Jean Isabel. Oh. And both Jean and Isabel were Camerons. Okay. And my, you know, my great-grandmother and my grandmother. So I just tacked that on the end, and I kind of uh, called Victor Nunez because the film was already printed as credits were Jay Smith. And I said, can and I— And you went to every copy of the film. <laughs> well, <laughs> no, it's just Jay Smith in the yeah. film. But his, oh, answer, his answer was to—he had print, it was just printing the posters because it had just gotten you know, distribution. And so it had— Jay Smith dash Cameron. I'd never thought of the dash or anything. Because for a while, it was just Jay Cameron when I joined Equity. Okay. So Jay Smith dash Cameron was right when I moved to town. And there was a little ad in the Times advertising the movie. And I was trying to meet agents. So I just used that name. And I thought, I'll figure it out later. Because it sounded a bit pretentious to me, actually. Um, and then people kind of quite liked it. So so who do you feel like now? Like, you've probably been Jay Smith Cameron longer than you were Jeannie Smith. That's right? correct. <laughs> I mean, just barely, but (laughs) today. So who do you feel like? My mom calls me Jeannie sometimes. I like being Jeannie, but no, everyone calls me Jay. I guess I feel like Jay. It's it's happened. 
Yeah, it's still it confuses people. People leave out the hyphen, or they switch the Smith right. and Cameron, or they. But you're not confused, and that's really the most but, important thing. I'm a little confused. <laughs> well, about a lot of things, but not your name. <laughs> Did you act as a kid? No. So was college the beginning of your uh, no, fascination with it in high, high school. school? I guess that's a kid, right? Yeah. But I wasn't like a an acting a child actor. Do you remember what your first play was? Uh, duh. Yeah. <laughs> My first role was Anne Frank. In the Diary of Anne Frank. Wow. Mm-hmm. At Greenville Senior High School in Greenville, South Carolina. Were there a lot of Jewish people in Greenville, South Carolina? There were some Jewish people. There were. You weren't, yeah. they weren't like, what is, what is this? What's a Jew? <laughs> no. There we're was glad some, you brought this to our attention. <laughs> um, That's a very no, sad it's, history. It's such a beautiful play. I wish high schools would do plays like that more often, you know, yeah. like really substantial plays. Nellie just did the, um, my daughter just did the Laramie Project at, at uh, Elizabeth Irwin. The Matthew Shepard yes. story yes. revealed by the people who lived in the town, yes, sort of the, different perspectives. Yes, Moises Kaufman and his right. theater company went to, to Laramie, Wyoming and talked to everybody. And then they tried to piece together. So the play is not, less about Matthew than it is about the community and, and all the different things that could make something like that happen and the reaction to it. Wow, that's kind of town. amazing. Yeah, it's really amazing. What grade is she in? She's in ninth grade. So they're really so that working was very on heady material. Yeah. Wow. Is she interested in acting? I think so. I mean, she's interested in all of it. Her mm-hmm. dad's a writer, and she's interested in that too. I think, and in directing, and she plays electric guitar. So she's she's got many interests. I feel like every child I meet in New York City, and this may be true all around the world, they're all like Renaissance children. They are like, rock stars. It's incredible it's to incredible. me. It's incredible. No, as mad as I am at the internet in some ways, I feel like my children Google a lot of things. Huh. And I just feel like, oh, I guess you can just Google how to do Shakespeare or how to be a rock star or like yeah. where to take. Well, I mean, it's the beginning of some sort I, of like. I am not sure about that because there's also a lot of, you know, BS on, on the That's internet. That's true. You know, but I do think that like growing up in New York is this like treasury of stimuli and yeah. everything's accessible. And you can hang out at the Met instead of yeah, the mall. Man. I mean, there are opportunities. Yeah, to and you don't of... get in your car and drive for 45 minutes to get somewhere. You hop on and off a subway or yeah. you walk down the street and there's this sense of your fellow humans. And that's just very uh, conducive to the arts, I think. Yeah, absolutely. So just to go back, because you did not grow up in Manhattan, you grew up in South Carolina. South Carolina. Mm-hmm. Although you have a very sort of light trace of a southern accent at this point. I know you could probably do it more fully <laughs> When I'm on down south, I slip Do back. you? Yes. Are there expressions that you still use sometimes that 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 are <laughs> particularly um, southern in your life well, I now? I say y'all, uh-huh. but, but lots of people say y'all. That's not, that's no longer But yours just. is a legit y'all. It's y'all. not like a yeah. no, put I, on of some uh, kind. No. Uh, but that's it, I think. And you're married to such a true blue New Yorker. Right, yeah, exactly. So born and bred. So you really have like a merger of yeah. these two. And my worlds. daughter has all, you know, full on, full on New Yorker. Yeah, so yeah, I yeah. feel like a stranger in a strange land, sort of there. All right, and well, when I was doing Rectify, which shot in Georgia, um, I made a point of every time Nellie had a winter or spring break while we were shooting and could come down and stay with me, we traveled all over the Southeast and. I got to show her my sort of world I came from because yeah. it's culturally so different. So let's go back a little bit because your body of work is so rich 
and full of characters that are so diverse in terms of their backgrounds and their dreams and their stumbling blocks, right? Mm -hmm. So if we can just go back a little bit, it sounds like by the time you went to college, there was an interest in theater in terms of where you picked where you wanted to go. And you went to FSU, which Mm -hmm. isn't crazy for a Southerner. Mm -hmm. It wasn't the other side of the world. School of theater, not a department. And you would have heard of it Mm -hmm. where where you were living. Um, But then it sounds like you left. In the middle, <laughs> and some of your teachers are here. And we have a few of your past professors here, and they want to ask you about that. So was I our country's good? Math 101 is the I know. <laughs> and you know what I do when I can't pass something? I quit. Yeah. And that is my suggestion. <laughs> Anyone who's I like, ran away and joined the circus. That's basically Quite literally. Yeah. yeah, kind of. So was it Our Country's Good? Was that the play that they were doing in Kentucky at the time, or was it something else that you left school for? Um, oh, no, no, no. Um, that was much no, later. No, I just got offered like a regional theater job and then another regional theater so job. So you started another... auditioning. Yeah, like, with, how instead did that of college, I, I did regional theater. So the first one you got, were you like in your dorm room kind of like, oh, I want to like, uh, uh, how did that A former professor yes. at Florida State had started a children's theater in Louisville, Kentucky. Okay. And he kind of coaxed me to sort of stop out of school and, and be in his company. So I did a season of that and then I did some more of that and then I went. I auditioned for a regional theater that I don't think exists anymore in, in Miami, Florida. And I had all these really cool parts. Like I got to play Ophelia and um, Agnes and Agnes of God and all these, you know, wow. plays that had been on Broadway five years before or something. Marsha Norman's play, Getting Out, I got to do that. I had all these great parts. And I would have been, about the time I would have been a junior in, mm-hmm. in college. So it was kind of great. So instead of going back to college then, I kind of came to New York and just tried my luck at that. So and, tell us about that. Well, I moved to New York. Um, Gal Young, and as I mentioned before, was opening at the film festival. And so I kind of thought, I didn't know if I was moving there forever, but I thought I would give it a go. Mm-hmm. And I stayed with college friends on their couches and stuff. And um, and I auditioned a bunch. I got some more regional theater jobs, blah, blah. Are these through backstage? Are these through people you know? Um, Do you have I an met agent some agents. I met some agents through, like, people I had worked with regionally, you know, got me introductions. Uh-huh. I wasn't signed with any agent, but I was, like, being sent Freelancing. Out. Freelancing, we yes. call it. And, um, but I auditioned for the tour of Crimes of the Heart. Mm-hmm. And I was doing a, a Shakespeare play out of town, and I got a phone call. And this is in the days of pay phones, mm-hmm. in olden times. And on my break, I had to go and call my Your person who was working bells with are, Oh, I thought yeah, 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 bells, bells, are bells are ringing. No, I, well, I got that message. And then you know, I did Do have you remember if it, it rang? Three, if it rang, then you knew you didn't have a message. So you didn't That's have to, right. like, waste the quarter. And then oh if it God. picked up right away, you knew that there was a message right. for you, something like that. This was, like, on my calling card because okay. I was in, Pennsylvania calling New York, calling the the manager I was working with at the time. And um, he said, well, I have good news and bad news. The bad news, they canceled the tour of Crimes of the Heart. And I said, okay, well, what's the what's the good news? And he went, well, the good news is that Maya Dillon's given notice and they want you to play oh her role God. on Broadway. Oh, my God. So my first acting job in New York, me, this little, you know, um, Idiot, basically, mm-hmm. from down That's south. That's what it said. That's how it <laughs> described you. Jay Smith Cameron, this little idiot. Yeah. This, uh, so, like, my first job Slate in New York was... On Broadway? Yeah. Who was the director of that play? Melvin Bernhardt. Who else was in the cast? Holly Hunter was in the cast. Mm-hmm. And Elizabeth McKay was still in the cast. She was the original Lenny. And... Um, Who played Barnett? Do you remember? Tim Choate. Okay. Tim Choate. It was really remarkable. 
So I played babe in college. <gasps> and a great part I for just you. have oh to say it was great. And I just remember like phrases like mama's gardening gloves and things oh, like that. Yeah. But it was like the most um, heartbreaking, fun, uh, poignant. And her writing is, is so good. It's and, one of it's almost like a perfect play. Yeah, and yeah. I love family plays. I love family. I love yeah. thinking about families. I think we're all so influenced by it. And did you just keep going from there? I would like to say that it was just Broadway mm-hmm. from then on out. But, it, it was <laughs> but not you like can that. say it because it's my podcast, and you can <laughs> say whatever you want. We'll rewrite it. Yes. yes. Um, no, I had you know. Then I had some more regional theater and new plays off, off, and off Broadway, which are. You know, always the best jobs anyway. And um, let's make listeners really mad. Did you ever not have a job since you started? Let's just make them so mad right now. (laughs) Maybe not all like the highest paying jobs on the planet. Um, But was there ever a real drought really once you left FSU? You know, now that you say it, not a real drought because sometimes by choice I would or by necessity Mm -hmm. for like right now I'm not doing plays right now because I'm um, my mom is not doing well. No, my mom's not doing well and I just want to be free to spend time with her. But by the same token, not always doing the jobs I wished I was doing. Right. You can leave now. Thank you very much. (laughs) You You asked You can go. Let me see. Do I have any questions that will make me feel better? Um, Well, when there were times where you felt like you weren't getting the jobs you wanted, there were lots of jobs that you were getting, and and obviously the theater has just demanded that you come back over and over again, oh, and nice you make it look so effortless. Do you have a process that you started out with that you feel like you still come back to each time, and can you mm-hmm. talk a little bit mm-hmm. about how you work? And is it different from one medium to the other? Oh, those are all good questions. Um, Thank you. (laughs) uh, Well, first of all, the first thing you started to ask, uh, or what I thought you were asking, there was was a point (laughs) when I was getting a lot of kind of fun girl-next-door sort of parts. Mm -hmm. Those are great parts, but like those sort of innocent um, ingenue roles that are wholesome, or maybe not wholesome, maybe they're psycho-bunny kind of parts, but they're they're young and... and, uh, you know, blank slate kind of parts. And I really wanted to play more uh, character-y parts, by which I mean just quirky, interesting, or tough characters or mm-hmm. squirrely characters. You know, I wanted to play sort of more extravagant kind of bold characters. And I had to really kind of push and shove a little bit to be thought of that way, I think. Like I played um, Maggie in Lend Me a Tenor for a full year of my life, commercial hit on Broadway. Right. And I had signed the contract. No, 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 none of us thought it would run that long, but I was the, in it for one full year. And it was a delightful role. But I was like, I'm kind of a nut. And this is sort of the straight part. Like I want to play the, you know, really itchy, weird parts. So, so when Fuddy Mears that, comes along, that was sort of the, the dream of the kind of part. Yeah, yeah. There have been a lot of parts like that, but I had to really kind of elbow my way into that terrain. You know, I had to kind of hold out for it. Or like I would be offered part X and I'd be like, can I read for part Y? And then, you know, maybe I wouldn't get them, but people would be like, oh, she kind of did all right with part Y. Do you still audition? Yeah. What was the first play you were offered? Do you remember that you didn't have to audition for you might not remember because you've been I doing this a right very now. long time. Um, I, I don't know. I, um, I don't know. Okay. That's a good, good question. It's such a gratifying thing, though, 
right? Yes. Like it's, oh, it's such wonderful. a gratifying And basically thing. in theater, I feel like I get – I don't really audition for theater, but I, I'm willing to audition for theater. But I feel like they now know – you know, I've been doing it for 30 years, so, but I certainly audition for films and television, you know, as often as I can. Did you audition for Rectify? I sure did. You did? Sometimes my friends will say, you know what, those best, big, shiniest jobs that sort of change things for me, ironically, that was the easiest for me to get. And then the other things were more... Um, yeah, a little bit like that. I mean, um, the casting people for that, they thought of me, I think. And Ray didn't know who I was. Mm -hmm. Ray McKinnon. Ray McKinnon did not know who I was. And my agent, Lindsay Porter, uh, who's also my chum, she was like, Jay, you have to read this. And um, Libby thinks you're really right for this. And I concur. And it's really special. This Mm -hmm. is a really unique script. And I um, opened it. And like by the time I'd finished page one of the script, my jaw had dropped. I was just wrapped. You know, I've been waiting kind of to play a southern matriarch yes like women not unlike my mother that that observed growing up that were sort of demure but you know like you might say an iron butterfly or a stamina that are sort of tougher than they look but they're also kind of um ladylike Rosalind carterish that's when i saw that character yes very much that's so interesting that you say that as i think of the absolutely poised and composed with so much bubbling yes right underneath yeah and and intelligent you know very intelligent character so I read, and I just think it was struck the right chord with Ray as well as as um, Libby and June. Was Ray in the room the first time you read, or did you have no, to film I went it on and tape. then I went uh-huh. on tape and then um, and then I flew out for a screen test and and then I got it. Yeah, it was kind of like it's one of those things that I guess when you're when they think you're right for it, it just is less of an uphill battle. Yeah. So there's a film that uh, your husband wrote and directed called Margaret. For people listening, it's it's an incredible film and I and I recall there's like two versions of it, sort of the released version and then a longer mm-hmm. version of it that That's that good. Kenny was really happy to get out in the world. It like mm-hmm. clocks in at three hours or something. Yeah, just under I think. And uh and that is the version that I watched. Oh, and good. um there's a scene in it where Jay's character who plays Anna Paquin's mother uh and Jay plays an actress, a New York theater actress in it. And there's a scene where she's talking to the incredible Jeannie Berlin, who you <sighs> mentioned earlier of the Jeannie Club, who gives a staggering performance along with everyone else in this movie where you talk about how you've been doing theater for a long time and it's nice when something you do gets recognized, although that's not why we do it, but that earlier you had done a TV show for two seconds God, and finally... Exactly right. <laughs> right. And fi- well, I, re- I remember it resonated for me and you're like, and suddenly my family and friends like, oh my God, you're, you know, and it was you're like... You're somebody a, now. You're somebody. Yeah. Like it doesn't matter if the TV show is any good or right. not, but suddenly you're legitimate Legitimized, in some right. way. And I know that you have done The Equalizer and other series uh, <laughs> in your so life. You mentioned that. Than... I was like, <laughs> because my and, dad really and about loved... ten episodes of Law and Order, like everyone yes, else, right? Yes, of but all the different I just remember my father really liked that show. Um, yeah, and the good. I mean, in a million things, but Rectify to me just seems like an opportunity for you to do the kind of work that you've been doing in the theater for so long. Uh, on screen, that character is very complicated yeah. and being asked to deal with a scenario that's almost unthinkable. Yeah. It's like that game, like what could be, as a parent, like right. here, what are the four worst things that you could possibly oh imagine? God, and short of game. actually <laughs> losing your child. Right. Um, 
losing your child in this way, I don't think it's spoiling anything to say that Rectify is about a family whose son, after 20 years of being incarcerated and on death row, is released through a glitch in the DNA. Mm-hmm. Um, they find DNA that's not his. Thank you. Right. So <clears throat> he's not – his sentence is vacated. He's still a suspect. Jay just um, embodies the – complicated response to something like that. Thank you. Well, that script was unusually good. But but nowadays, I'm sure you've talked about this with other people, that there's so many interesting things on television. It's yeah. just um, a kind of a bonanza of like all different kinds of, you know, all shapes and sizes of parts. And it's really uh, thrilling. And, and Rectify is certainly like the epitome of that, like a, a, a show you couldn't imagine – having been made 10 years earlier. Like, no, and who also would pay for that to be made? on Sundance and mm-hmm. it finding its audience, even mm-hmm. though it's not on a network or, or a more, um, a larger cable visible, station. Right? It was four seasons or five? Four. Four. And you just, you f- have finished. Uh, we finished shooting and the, and the fourth season's airing now. Right. So what is it, do you think, about that show that has resonated so deeply for people? Hmm. Um, well, uh, I think that just what you said, I think the complicated, nuanced, um, writing, the characters, it's very character driven, the characters and the dialogue are so specific. And it also has this, um, leisurely pace, which is not to say that it's boring because it's very dense. It's very full. Like, you know, there's a lot going on that's unspoken. And so it's, or at least to my taste, it's very you know, intriguing, intriguing, I would say. And I think people really responded to that because it's not the sort of usual TV pace of like, you know, um, sensational thing after sensational thing grabbing you and frantically pushing on, you know. It's got a, it's almost like reading a novel. Mm-hmm. It's got a different, so I think it has a very specific audience, but that audience is very happy to find it. Absolutely. So to get back to how you work, Earlier I asked if there's sort of a process that you approach. I mean, obviously theater has rehearsal Mm -hmm. and television and film for the most part do not, right? So so beautiful, what a beautiful thing. I know, it seems indulgent at this point. (laughs) Um, Although I do know that Kenny had mentioned on Margaret that he tried to at least get a block of rehearsal time. So did you you rehearse that movie like a play or was it more gentle touching on scenes? Um, We rehearsed it a bit like a play. Um, I mean, we didn't stage it. But you know, did you do it in order? Did you work on um, scenes in order? N- no, we just sort of we would we would rehearse like I would rehearse all my scenes with with Anna like right. all clumped together and then you know like I didn't get to rehearse with Jean Renault because he wasn't in the country when beforehand or whatever. But but also you, know, you guys meet each other in the movie. That's so true. it's also right like right. it's it's like you had to establish a seventeen year long relationship. That's true. Can you talk about what it's like being directed and working with someone you're married to? I love it, but I uh, I don't know what <laughs> I don't know what Kenny we'll would say. Kenny. I've heard him I, a couple he, times say, "Oh, she's tough. She's really tough." <laughs> what do you I'm think like, he means by that? Uh, well, because I think he's always surprised how. I mean, this is going to sound like I'm blowing my own horn, mm-hmm. but he's always a little taken aback by how much how thoroughly I've thought it through. Right. So he'll be like, you know, she's probably feeling quite frustrated. And I was like, and then I babble for 45 minutes about just how frustrated my character is. And he's like, okay, okay. Oh, I'm sorry to say, I'm 
gee whiz. And so that kind of happens. But um, all of his insights are really good. I mean, he's a very, very good director with actors. Like yeah. His, his, you know, like his, what makes his writing so good is the acting in it. Like, you know, he kind of really gets inside those characters. Each yeah. one of them, he's, he's really good at that. The only thing that I would say was, a, a, I thought, a disadvantage was that, you know, <laughs> we were shooting this big movie. It was a very ambitious Kind of epic sort of movie. Sure. Shooting in Manhattan, where Manhattan is actually a, alive. A city is a character in it. <laughs> yes. That, basically. Very much so. Um, so it was a big project, and um, we had a little child. So How old was Nellie when um, you did this I, movie? Five or six, something like that. Uh, does she appear in the film? Uh, yes, she does, very briefly at the beginning. Sort okay. Of in the credit sequence or okay. right, right around there. In, the, in Rectify, just down for mm-hmm. a minute, when there's a picture of you in the opening credits, uh, yes. is that Nellie? Yes, it is. Oh, so sweet. Kenny took that photograph. That's so sweet. Yeah. Anyway, there's a picture of Jay holding a baby in the opening credits of Rectify. Now we yeah. know who the baby is. Now baby's Nellie. It would be weird if you were holding her now. Like yeah, that. <laughs> that would be weird, and it wouldn't be a good match for Daniel. You no. would never think that might be Daniel. No, that would be bad. That would be bad. Um, so, so you have this child. Um, I would want to ask him things about the scene the next day, but it would be about like who's going to call about the heat that's not working, or who's going to pick up Nellie, or you know, like right. it would. So Domestic I would have to things. schedule time to talk with them. Right, and he would he would get sort of you know annoyed with me because but. But he wouldn't be annoyed if I'd just been an actress that he only saw on set. He'd be right. very, you know. So my friend and your friend too, Kim Parker, right? yes, Pippin's wife, Kim. I was going to have this or that question about the scene. I could never get his attention about it, and she said, "You should just write on your ass." Yeah. In scene thirty-five, yeah. when I say, "What blah, the blah, hell blah, am I doing?" Yeah, so what do you mean? Then you get his attention. Yes, like, that's bad. a really good idea. You should try. I'm going to do that for all sorts of things in <laughs> yes, my marriage. That's right. Can't, may I order those curtains now? Oh my god! Just after being married this long. Any just literally, it it could even just be on the back of like I don't know ski pants. Like That's the right. expectation <laughs> of seeing anything under the ski pants, it doesn't even matter. Just um, that That's I'm hilarious. thinking of him. Yeah, that that's right. <laughs> I'm actually thinking of him in some way would feel really good. Well, that movie, I, I just feel like there was so much. Um, when you say New York is a character, it's pretty thrilling to see any film that kind of has a love letter to New York mm. within its design is really, for me, special. And I knowing how much the city has meant to him in his own life and that yeah. he could, I'm, I'm saying it so terribly and I feel bad because Kenny is the greatest writer in the world, but um, not it something <laughs> about the way it was another character in the film and mm-hmm especially in the long cut, how mm-hmm. lovingly and how much time he spent allowing the architecture and the the visuals of the city to be as much a part of the film as the other right. parts is kind of extraordinary. I think one of the sort of leitmotifs of it is that as dramatic as what Anna's character is going through, that every time you see a long shot of like rear windows on a building or taxi cabs going up Madison Avenue – in every one of those cabs is some big drama yep. of that person yep. and that person. And the person next to you on the subway is going through yep. some major thing. And it's over and over in the movie, like overheard conversations. And, totally. Um, when I – in the cut you saw where I'm in the clinic waiting for uh, Lisa to – you know, for me to be called in to see Lisa. I don't want to give it anything away. Yeah. There's all these close-ups of the day players that day. And my character looking at them and wondering what their circumstances right. are. And they, they were wonderful actors he found to be – like the – and the bystanders at the bus accident. Like the – you know, the, the – By the way, and Alice and Janney Alice as the Janet, victim, it's, it's – I mean, that's like – 
that moment is that, that, that scene cameo. is a masterpiece, frankly. I think. I mean, yeah, it's remarkable. You should write that on your ass. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Trying to think how to phrase it. Sweetie, that scene. So I had asked on Twitter for people to write in if they had any questions for you. And, and no one wrote any questions. No, they did. And so one person they wanted to know your phone number and your address. And I said, I would totally get that today. Um, so someone wanted to know if you considered writing and if that's something that's in your life and something that you dabble in or with. That's so funny because um, that just kind of came up recently um, on another interview. Um, this is the there's no other interview. <laughs> I don't know what not you're a, talking about. Not a little known fact <laughs> podcast, but yes. just a run of the yes. mill interview. Thank you. Um, uh, that I had I did write a short story when I was in my twenties. Um, one short story that I finished and a friend of mine sent in to a magazine and it got published. Um, I don't even think that it's a, it was a literary journal and I'm not even sure it's in, um, I don't think it exists anymore. But uh, I, so I did, I used to really have aspirations, but when you live with a writer like Kenneth Lonergan, it tends to make you sort of uh, clam up, I think, mm-hmm. you know, you mm-hmm. don't want to be the rank amateur working your way right. through something, but he's quite the opposite. He often encourages me to write and, um, like he'll hear stories about my childhood in Greenville, and in fact, the short story I wrote was uh, about Greenville. And he was like, "You should just start writing on these, writing down these scenes." And I was like, "What would it be about?" And he went, "You'll find that out. You'll right. find that out. Just write them." But I'm, I guess, I'm basically just very lazy and second place chicken. So right. I'm not much of a writer, but I do think about it, and I feel like, I feel like that's kind of my orientation as an actor that I sort of think about the writing and right. I pick up all the clues from the writing, and I'm very interested in that. In the writerliness of something, you know. I remember years ago when I was teaching a class, you were a guest and you talked a little bit about process with my student actors. I was working through the Naked Angels Theater Company and we had started a school and you talked about learning lines and you said one of the ways in which you learned lines is at first you just read them Mm -hmm. over and over and over again without effect or Mm -hmm. affect. And I think that was in particular for... Maybe auditions when you had a lot of material to learn. But in terms of, I guess the point was before you started making choices, you were becoming as familiar with the lines as possible and then seeing organically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and reading the other person's lines mm-hmm. so that you kind of know the whole story of the scene without already um, jumping on with a with a decision about how to play it, you know, because you don't have those um, that time around the table like you have in your rehearsal play mm-hmm. and the time, you know, just getting on your feet and all that. You have to kind of have your own process in private in a vacuum, and it's tricky. Can you talk a little bit about your process now? You know, one thing I always advise people to do, and I, and I do, I mean, my one little secret I would say is that I like to um, sort of study people just on the subway or – like when you're waiting in line at Starbucks or whatever, just study them and try to see how many things you can intuit. Or even if it's just a guess, um, you might be wrong. But what you pick up, what minutia you pick up, and what you can kind of by osmosis figure out about their mood and try to figure out how old they are and if they're in a relationship and what's worrying them and study them and then kind of see what's interesting to you about people. And then it's sort of like you're um, developing this huge uh, library of characters mm-hmm. and then you might get a part, uh, an audition for a part that 
you're like, oh, it's like that woman who was with all the bags on the end of the subway talking to herself. Or right. it's like that mother who was really cross with her child, but you got the feeling she was a very good mother, you know, or, or whatever. Like, you, you know, you, you so I don't know if that's a process. Right. But, but you have this big suitcase that you bring yes, in. Yes. And, and, filled... and it's so fun to do. It's so fun. Yeah. To do. And New York's, of course, the place for it. I think that's the best advice I have for for uh, all actors and beginning actors is to kind of mark people that you see and study them and then uh, let that spark your imagination. So in Rectify or things that you've had to do that, I mean, even I thought a lot about in the films that I've watched, in the TV shows that I've watched with you, you seem to have tremendous access to emotion and tremendous access to tears, which can what be... What if I burst into tears right now? <laughs> I crying. kind of feel like it. <laughs> well, it's a lot to have people shine a light just on you. It's it's overwhelming to have to think about oneself so much. I think yeah, as actors, yeah, we're yeah. really comfortable getting into the skins of other That's characters. True, isn't it? So I appreciate when people come in here knowing that it's not to plug a specific job or film mm-hmm. or TV show, but just to talk about life as an artist. It's mm-hmm. a very strange position to be in, and I feel such gratitude when my guests come in and share it because there's less protection right. in a way. But I did notice over the years in watching you aside from I mean there's so many things Jay is an amazing uh has an amazing facility for she could do like 40s dialogue right now um <laughs> like say like she's just really good at all she should be in a a, a Henry is it not Henry Luce like who wrote the women there's something about right. um, that world. Of, right. Like you're so fast and so funny and can do lots of accents. Oh. Um, and <laughs> and to be able to do such dramatic parts and hilarious parts and that it all comes out of you is kind of staggering and intimidating. But um, there is a well of emotion and I wondered, especially you're playing the mother of a, of a death row convict who's released and you're constantly mm-hmm. dealing with that. Do you worry about having to be... Uh, tearful when it says that on the page, you're like, oh God, um, no, golly, I or do you know like what? it? I I sort of um, I don't worry about it. I don't mm-hmm. know if I like it, but I don't worry about it. Um, I think that one of the things about being an actor is uh, that you have to have the emotions of your character right under the surface, so. Um, I don't think about what comes out, just having it right there. I just try to prepare in terms of – does that make any sense? It does. Like right under your – like to have everything in the top drawer yep. is right there because it's often – and Ray was all often trying to get us not to cry on that show. Mm-hmm. We're all kind of weepy. And uh, the more interesting thing is sort of trying to contain it. To um, fight it. But that's a really miserable thing to try to imitate. Like you have to really feel that – Filled up, so I think that when you're working on a part, one of the luxuries of working on a TV series or a big part in a film is that you get to, or in a long run of a play, is you get to inhabit a, a character for a long time, and you really begin to kind of live in her skin, and you you do have those feelings in your top drawer. You know? Okay, but in the pilot or the mm, first episode, yeah. <laughs> when uh, that's true, I, <laughs> because Dominic read for your son, which oh obviously gosh. couldn't have happened. When, I mean, you. Why not? (laughs) That would have been a different kind of show. Um, That wouldn't have been the crime, would it? Uh, So so I remember, I remember, I don't even remember what happened. I think he, I don't know, I don't know why he isn't doing that show. But when Daniel 
gets out of jail. And first, Abigail Spencer goes to greet mm-hmm. him, and the family is, is there, and you go up to him. Um, I don't know how long, if that was day one or day 12 That was, I think, literally day one. So let's talk about that scene. Oh, that was actually really difficult because it was never difficult in the audition, or I don't know if I actually did that in the audition, but it, in the table read. It, it was, was just, all there. Yes, it was just because I think that was the what grabbed me when I read it. It mm-hmm. happens early on in the in the story, and it was my first day of shooting, maybe the first day of shooting, period, because we had to do the prison scenes when the prison was available. So that the scene that we're talking about, um, he gets released, and his sister, who has been seeing more of him than the rest of his family has, goes up and hugs him, and she's crying um, in one sort of way. And then her mother, who's very a uh, buttoned-up kind of character, sort of the dam burst, and she cries. I was a little bit worried about it because unlike the theater where you just, in a weird way, Kenny and Kenny's always saying this, that in a weird way, theater is more real than films because you just get to do everything in real time and you're reacting to, you're reacting to the take that you're really reacting to. And so in an odd way, it's sort of realer. And so that was kind of hard to kind of wait your turn to yes. burst into tears. I'm stupid. You're perfect. <laughs> You know, part of it was the adrenaline of it and and actually doing that kind of grueling long day. Helps. Yes. Everything was kind of all raked up. But we were hanging out. We had a kind of holding area in the prison where we would kind of cut up when we, you know, we would kind of fool around when we weren't shooting because right. we couldn't live, you couldn't maintain that state and then still have it be fresh in front of the camera. So it was a weird sure. juggling act. So this is kind of the peak behind the scenes that people who aren't actors don't know is that when you have to keep coming back to this, you know, really dramatic scene over and over again from different angles. In between, there's lots of waiting while they move the lights around and they do this and that. But Adelaide Clemens had brought bananagrams to the set. <laughs> and so we were making words. And I didn't know anyone really yet. I didn't have any previous friends on that whole job. Like right. no one I'd worked with, no one I, no one knew who I was, you know. And we were, all, everyone was nervous. It was everyone's first day. Everyone was scared. And... Um, for some reason, all the words, all the letters I got dealt with, I, all I could come up with were really dirty words. Mm-hmm. And everyone thought of me as like the lady like Miss Janet. I remember Ray just <laughs> like being sort of like, what Did have I pass? done? <laughs> but then we, we get up there and I burst into tears. Right. You know, so he was like, okay, this she's either good. insane or she's terribly, terribly yes. good. <laughs> I was very she, good at bananagrams, but it was dirty. very dirty. It was the X-rated version. But that was the hand I was dealt. Yes, yeah. and you used it. I used it to my Wow. Opinion. Did you spend a lot of time with families who are dealing with incarcerated family members? I would read about it, and it's very interesting and very, you know, obviously painful thing. And there's uh, so many shows now um, that are, deal with criminal justice and or injustice. Yeah. And that is such a uh, horrific and endlessly interesting subject. There's been a lot of shows that have dealt with that and that serial podcast and yeah, 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 yeah. Of a Murder and The Night Of yep. that Jeannie Berlin is in wonderfully. There's just a lot of interest in that right now. So that's done. The series is not 
done for those of us who love watching it, unless they do a very special extra episode. A Christmas a special. Christmas special. <laughs> I'm going to pitch that. Yes. Could you? Ray. He goes back and sees all his friends, <laughs> his great pals in the prison that he's missed so much. Um, I don't know if your fans are aware. You happen to do one of the most magnificent Shirley Temple impersonations <laughs> on the planet. And would you be willing? I know it's early in the morning. And so... <laughs> Would you be Fresh willing folk. to do a little Good Ship Lollipop um, for the people? I'll try. They are demanding it. <laughs> All right. Okay. <clears throat> <laughs> On the Good Ship Lollipop, it's a sweet trip to the candy shop. And there you are, happy landing on the chocolate bar. If you eat too much, oh, oh, you'll awake with a tummy ache. <laughs> Alana's laughing because she can see my face when I do this because I can't do the impression without no, but puckering up like, my this face. This is when like you're Jeannie Temple. Smith again because <laughs> you look exactly like you did. I've seen a photo of you at the age of five, and for some reason, it's a remarkable transformation that that vocal exercise you just did in Genius actually make. It's like Benjamin Button, like you're suddenly. <laughs> All right. Well, I am so grateful to have you on the show, Miss J. Smith Cameron. Thank you for being here, lovely. My great pleasure. All right. Thank you. If you want more information about my guests, go to the website, littleknownfactspodcast.com. I also wanted to tell you that there is now a new addition to the website. It is a button that says Contributions. This podcast is a true labor of love, and I really, really want to keep doing it for a long time. So if you like listening as much as I love to do it, please feel free to contribute. It would mean the world to me. Also, on Twitter, you can find me at Alana Levine. Instagram is Little Known Facts Podcast, and on Facebook, Little Known Facts Podcast. You can also feel free to rate and review the show on the iTunes show page. This podcast is recorded at Hangar Studios in New York City. This episode was brought to you by Pro Media. Located in Times Square, Pro Media offers both production and post production services out of its beautiful studios in the heart of New York City. Pro Media Sound Vision. Find out more at promedia.nyc. Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes, so doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you. Noom doesn't restrict or shame when you want to treat yourself. Their flexible program focuses on progress. Instead of perfection, you don't have to give up carbs or anything. And with their daily lessons, you can learn something new about your food choices every day. After just a few days of using the app, I learned how to recognize cues for overeating and how to choose the right foods to feel full. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M dot com. And check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for a hundred healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold.